Welcome to the Why God Why podcast. My name is Peter Englert. I am here with our illustrious, or actually I should say fantastic producer, Nathan Yoder, and then our remarkable co-host, Alyssa Matz. Alyssa Matz. <laughs> Alyssa, I feel like, like we should title the type of episodes that we have you co-host for. The best episodes ever. Well, I'll let you, Aaron, Amanda, and uh, Aaron McGinnis figure that out. But uh, we are here uh, with Sarah Albinger. The cool thing about having Sarah, Sarah's from Browncroft. Uh, you know, this podcast is brought to you by Browncroft Community Church and the Lumvaz Network. We're also we're here to respond to the questions you don't feel comfortable asking in church. And Sarah is going to respond to the question, "Why won't my chronic pain go away?" Yeah, that's a good question, and I'm really excited to get into this. Um, so, Sarah, welcome, first yeah, of all. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. So, would you mind sharing with us and sharing with our listeners a little bit more about you, about your background, about your faith journey? Um, just who is Sarah? Sure. So I am one of the lucky few in the world that I was born into a generational Christian family. So, you know, my grandparents, their grandparents, maybe all the way back to Jesus Christ himself, who knows, were uh, (laughs) um, all followers of the faith. Uh, So I was raised in that kind of environment. I went to Grove City College, which is a small Christian college in Pittsburgh, uh, where I met my husband and graduated with a degree in psychology and eventually got my master's in healthcare analytics. We moved to Rochester in 2016. Um, yeah, 2016. And we have been living there since. Um, we attend Browncroft, as you guys know. Um, we now have two kids. So we have my daughter, Esme, and my son, Jack, and we are going to be having a third soon, which is exciting. Uh, Mic drop. Let's yeah. go. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. It's very, very exciting. Um, so that's just kind of us in a, in a little nutshell there. Oh, thanks. Well, so the genesis of this episode is we met like a few months ago and you were just kind of updating me and sharing about your story. So, you know, one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on was because I do think there's a lot of people that ask this question, why won't my chronic pain go away? So why don't you kind of jump into your story of how you discovered, I mean, obviously, you know, you discover that you have chronic pain, but tell us about the process, about what you've been through physically and kind of how that's affected you. Sure. Yeah. Uh, It most noticeably started about three years ago during my pregnancy with my son. So my second pregnancy, I was having uh, a lot of stomach aches, um, like severe abdominal pain. And when I say severe, you know, that's hard to measure and gauge because it can be different depending on who you're talking to. So when I say severe, I mean inability to get out of bed. Um, It would be bad enough that I I couldn't get out of bed. I would have to lay there for hours, sometimes days, waiting for this to subside. And at the time, we kind of just chalked it up to pregnancy because that makes all kinds of weird things happen. And we thought, well, it will go away once we have the baby and everything will be fine. So we had the baby and it didn't go away. I was still continuing to get you know, stomach aches multiple days a week, sometimes for multiple days at a time, um, abdominal pain. And then I started to lose weight and I, you know, I lost my baby weight, whenever that is, 30 pounds. And then I lost another 25 pounds on top of that in about three and a half months. Mm. So we're talking you know, 40, 50 pounds in three and a half months. Um, and part of that was because I wasn't eating. I was afraid to eat anything because I was having this abdominal pain. Uh, and part of it was just from the illness that I later found out I had. I was losing my hair. I was losing my nails. Um, 
I just generally looked kind of ill. <laughs> I was sleeping a lot and, and just was really struggling to function. This all came to a head um, in September of 2020, 2021, 2021, yes, sorry. The years kind of blur together. Um, my husband travels in the fall for work, and I often have to stay home with the kids by myself. And there was a month where he was gone three of the four weeks in that month. Uh, and I was completely unable to take care of my kids. Um, I had to put them in extra daycare. I had to call people to come help support me. Um, shout out to Cody and Kari Foster because they were like our people for that month and I don't even know if they knew it. Um, and I just kind of had like at that point a mental breakdown with it too because I was just having all this pain that was excruciating. I wasn't sleeping from it. I had no idea why. I didn't know how to solve it. So I started to go to the doctor at that point. And I was eventually diagnosed with uh, something called celiac disease. So it's an autoimmune disorder that affects your whole body, but generally symptoms are most present like in, in a GI form. So most people who have it have some sort of GI pain or issue. Uh, so I thought, great, I will never eat gluten again, and this will like all go away, and life will be better. So I was about six months into that, and the pain still had not gone away. Um, some other things subsided, like other symptoms I was having, like my hair grew back, I stopped losing weight. Um, I had some neuropathy that is resolved since then, but I was still having this abdominal pain. Um, maybe less severe, but still daily, still interfering with, interfering with my ability to take care of my family. Um, so I started seeing more doctors and other doctors trying to figure it out. Uh, I was eventually diagnosed with endometriosis um, in addition to it, which for people who don't know is a reproductive disorder where you have like cells that grow outside of the correct places and it causes a lot of pain and congestion. There's no cure for that either. Um, there's things they can do, but there's not really a cure. So I was just kind of taught how to manage that. Uh, but aside from that, they couldn't find anything wrong. So I kind of got to this point where it was, okay, you have celiac and you have endometriosis and you have something that is unidentified that is causing you pain. Uh, and that's more or less where I left off and then I got pregnant. <laughs> so yeah, so um, that's a little background into my chronic pain and some of the things that have caused it and some of the mysteries that surround it that, you know, um, many people struggle with every day, even outside of my, you know, my own condition. So what was going through your head as you're, you, you explained your physical symptoms. What, how were you feeling emotionally, spiritually during mm -hmm. that time? Yeah. You know, the mental and emotional and even spiritual toll was probably worse than the physical pain. Um, my diseases are such in that they didn't have significant physical manifestations. So many people would see me every day and I looked normal. Uh, in fact, some people would say with that much weight loss, I looked great. Um, so that was really challenging because people would look at me and I looked fine. And from you know moment to moment, maybe I was okay, but not overall. Mm -hmm. And it kind of created some um, mental dissonance where where I felt like I should be okay because I looked okay but I wasn't and I couldn't explain to people the pain is on the inside and you can't see it um, and there's always you know anytime there's an inability to give an answer when there's that unknown for for a cause of pain you know that causes a lot of mental anxiety it, it's very you know when is this going to strike what is causing it am I doing this to myself am I making it worse so it, it definitely caused um, a lot of anxiety and severe depression for me. So 
I had never had depression before, like clinical depression. I had no idea what the symptoms even were. I was really blessed to have a great doctor who recognized those symptoms in me when I was visiting and um, was able to help put me on some medication to resolve that. So it is emotionally been much better, but I would say that the weight and the the difficulty from that is actually worse than the physical pain a lot of times, yeah. Um, Hold on one second, I I wanna mm -hmm. kinda come back because you just said something there that I think is actually really important. Um, You know, and this is one of the reasons we have Alyssa here, but you know, you said, I was depressed and my doctor noticed it, but I didn't notice it. Mm-hmm. So help our listeners, because I'm sure that there's listeners with chronic pain or even just kind of starting their journey with chronic pain that they don't know they're depressed. What were the symptoms? What were kind of the, the signposts for you? Yeah, definitely. So I will say this. It is a slow and slippery slope. So for many people, you don't just wake up on Wednesday depressed. Mm. You know, it starts slowly over time and that can make it really difficult to to realize because when you're slowly changing, you know, you don't necessarily see it. And sometimes even your loved ones don't see it when it's a slow change. Um, you know, Ethan, Ethan, my husband, didn't necessarily look at me and say, oh, she's depressed. Um, but some of the physical manifestations, I was not sleeping, like almost at all at night. I would just be up all night and then exhausted during the day and couldn't figure out why I wasn't sleeping. I was not really eating. I I mean, part of that is because I have GI symptoms, but even when I was feeling fine, I just like didn't feel the need to eat. I, my relationships really, really struggled. I was um, very isolated during that time. I didn't really feel like I knew how to talk to my friends, people that I had talked to, you know, daily for years and years. I felt like I couldn't connect to and I didn't really have an idea of what to talk to them about. I didn't even feel like they wanted to hear from me because who wants to hear about the sick girl every day? Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of stopped talking talking to a lot of my friends and then eventually the, the crying started and that's when we started to know, okay, this is not me. Um, so I would cry you know, often for no reason or maybe I couldn't articulate the reason. And then it, you know, in full transparency, it got to the point one day where I said to my husband, I just cannot wait to die and I don't want to harm myself, but I am so tired and, you know, in so much pain that I just dream about the peace of being in the kingdom of heaven and like, I can't wait for that day. And I think when I had that conversation with Ethan, it was the first time that I realized I don't think most people feel that way and I don't think most people think about that on a regular basis. So that was the kind of the catalyst for me to be like, all right, so, like I need to talk to somebody and figure out if this is normal or what is going on here. And that's when I saw my doctor who was able to identify, you know, the symptoms of depression in me. Wow, that's amazing that um, mm-hmm. your doctor was able to help you. I think it's also interesting to note the the link between our physical bodies and our physical health and then our mental health and our mm-hmm. emotional health and our spiritual health. I think it's more connected than most people realize. Do you agree with that? Oh, totally. I mean, there's tons of research, just in my instance, on the gut-brain connection and barrier. You know, the higher your anxiety, the worse your digestion performs, and it's the same with your immune system. So, you know, my celiac symptoms, I mean, obviously when I eat gluten, they flare, but they flare sometimes even when I'm stressed or emotionally distraught or, um, you know, run down in some way. So there is definitely... A connection between you know all physical ills and your mental and emotional state and I would say your spiritual state too because those things all kind of go together 
you know, I want to come back to something else that you just said um, a few minutes ago. So you said that people commented on your weight, Mm -hmm. that you looked um, fit. And I don't think people know this, but like you, I mean, you're a workout warrior, like, (laughs) and that's been kind of true since like I've met you, like, you know, you've talked about it, you're passionate about it. So, you know, kind of two things from knowing a little bit of your story. Number one, tell us about, I don't know where you are working out now, but you know, you came to a place where you actually can't work out anymore. But then secondly, um, I'm guessing those people were meaning well. Mm -hmm. They were assuming that, man, Sarah's working out, like she's putting in all the work, you know, compliment her. But it doesn't sound like you were receiving that as as helpful because you're sick. Right. So why don't you talk about both stopping the journey of working out and kind of what that was like, but also kind of what was really going through your mind is you're getting all these compliments, but it's not because of something good. It's from something bad. Yeah, definitely. I So the irony of it is when I was losing the most weight, I wasn't doing any physical exercise because at that point I didn't have the physical energy to like vacuum my floor, let alone, you know, run seven miles that day or lift any kind of weight beyond <laughs> the weight of my emotional heaviness. Um, so I, I wasn't able to exercise for, you know, a couple months, three or four months. And then I uh, was seeing a dietitian that specialized kind of in the pain I was having. And I was told like strictly no exercise for two months because they felt my body was just being overtaxed. And the more I was exercising, the worse I was making it, which was probably true. Um, so then I was, you know, doctor's orders, don't exercise. And that's the period when I probably lost the, the most weight. Uh, and people, you're right, rightly probably assumed, oh, you know, you're working out, you know, she's losing weight, that's great. But for me, those comments were hard because it almost reinforced something bad about myself, you know? So, you know, I was in a lot of pain. I knew the pain was causing the weight loss, but then it started to actually make me kind of worried when I gained the weight back. Am I going to be, are people going to think I'm worse off than when I'm sick and I, and I look better? And, And that sounds so silly to say out loud, but when you're in a state where you feel terrible and your mental health isn't there and your self confidence is in the toilet because your mental health isn't there and people are commenting you on this very visible thing that is directly related to what's ruining your life, you know, you start to question how bad really is this? Is this something that um, for me, it was like, well, I look great. Like there is a silver lining, right? Is this is this something that I'm over dramatizing or is it something, you know, when I gain the weight back, am I going to like wish I was sick again? I, I don't for the record <laughs> at all. Um, but it was really it was really confusing. Um, I think it also speaks to many people knew I was sick and they were the same people who were giving me the compliments. And and I do think, Peter, a lot of them were well-intentioned because you just don't know what to say to somebody who's in that situation. So instead of being like, hey, you don't look like death today, which is probably <laughs> what they were thinking, you know, it came out as like, oh, you look great. Like you're looking so fit and trim and not necessarily knowing the depth that that was, you know, harming me. Uh, so I think it really just speaks to, I give a lot of people grace in that. 
um, because you don't know what to say. You don't always know what to say to somebody. And sometimes there's nothing you can say to somebody who is chronically ill um, that you want to make them feel better, but but maybe the words just aren't there. Mm. Mm. Can you kind of keep going with this? And are there anything, any other things that people have said to you that weren't helpful besides the weight comments um, while you were sick? Did they say anything that, that stung a little bit that maybe they didn't realize they were saying that was more hurtful actually than helpful? Good question. I think the the biggest thing or the thing that bothered me the most was also generally well-intentioned by people, but it was comments along the lines of, oh, you're still dealing with that. Oh, that's still ongoing. Oh, you're, you still don't know. Um, and those comments, even now, still tend to get under my skin um, because it's chronic. <laughs> that's, that's the definition of a chronic condition. I will, I will have these things for the rest of my life. Um, so yes, I will still be dealing with them. Uh, and, and those things I think can be insensitive. So I would just encourage people, you know, if you have friends in a situation who are dealing with some kind of chronic illness or even just, you know, long-term extended illnesses to be sensitive of the fact that that is a, it is a part of their life and it's often a permanent part of their life. And to a- acknowledge that by respecting respecting your word choices and respecting, you know, that that is something they carry with them every day. So when they have good days, they're still carrying that with them, just like when they have bad days. And to maybe not minimize it in a way to say like, oh, that's something you're still dealing with as though somebody did something wrong and can't figure out how to fix it. Sometimes there isn't a fix. And and that can feel really painful and hurtful to somebody who feels like, well, I'm doing everything I can. I'm seeing all the doctors I can. Like there, there isn't a fix for me right now. So yes, I am still dealing with it. Um, that I think that is the biggest thing. And, and again, it's often, you know, people are surprised, I think, especially for someone like me. I'm young. I'm, I was 30 or 29 when this happened. People were often really surprised that, like, you're still sick. Like, you're so young. How can this be? Um, that, you know, it, it's often well-intentioned and just comes out of a place of surprise or concern, but can be really, you know, difficult to absorb when you're on the other end. Well, because you mentioned two diagnoses. Mm-hmm are both of them, they're treatable, but they're not curable, correct? Correct, yeah. Both are treatable or manageable, but neither has a cure. Wow. Um, So I kind of want to lean a little bit more on the spiritual side um, and just kind of shift, because I think we're going to come back to these themes. Tell us about your relationship with God. And as a pastor, I wish people could get in my brain on Sunday morning um, because the things that inspire me the most are when I see people show up to church online or in person. You know, just just this week, you know, one of our volunteers who just got treated for cancer showed up online to host a service. And I just I was like, you didn't have to do and like they needed it for them. And I was just very appreciative, but I also, it's like, hey, it's okay if you take off like that. And, you know, on Sunday mornings and I look out through the crowd, you know, I see you, I see Ethan, you know, I see, I see people that it's actually a miracle that you made it. Mm -hmm. Like it's a miracle that you showed up because of all that you're going through. But then, you know, I just kind of wonder like in this space, like you're you're a strong person and i mean that in every positive way but where did you doubt or struggle with god you know and trying to manage not just the physical 
mm-hmm. of this, but also the mental health of depression. You've mentioned anxiety. Mm-hmm. You know, talk about your spiritual journey. Yeah, I mean, guys, Jesus was the only thing I was showing up for for <laughs> months and months of my life. And you know, if we're being frank, it, it wasn't by choice, and because I was so enamored with His love that I was just. Crazy about Jesus in that time, and you know he was going to get me through, and I had faith. If we're being really, really honest about it, um, I was holding on to Jesus because I had nothing else to hold on to, and if I gave up that, then you know what else is left? Nothing. Then I'm I'm resigned to this awful life of no hope. Um, so there, it was a complicated, and still is, you know, a, a complicated relationship with my faith um, and my relationship with Jesus. I think at first, when I first was sick, there was a lot of hope. You know, we have that hope in Jesus. We know He is, you know, God is our healer, and I strongly believe that. I still, let me be clear, strongly believe that He may not heal me, but He is our healer, um, and and that just looks different for different people in different ways. Uh, so there was a lot of there was a lot of faith. There was a lot of prayer and diligent prayer um, from me, from my friends, from our circles about healing and answers. But you know, it got harder as the answers either came back negative or didn't come back at all. And I would say my lowest point in you know May, June, July, when I was really struggling with with depression. Um, I, you know, I kind of got to the point where I just had to say, you know, Jesus. God, I know that you have a plan, and I know your plan is for your glory, and it will ultimately ultimately refine me and bring me closer to you. But man, this is awful, and I don't like it, and I'm really upset that you're doing this to me. And I think it just took some time to get to a place of peace where I felt okay saying that, where I felt like it was okay to say, on the one hand, that I knew that this was for God's glory, but I hated it, and I would have loved there to be an, another way to glorify God than to have this like physical burden. Um, and it was, you know, I learned to be okay with being angry with God sometimes. You know, we we are allowed to be respectfully angry with with Jesus. We're allowed to have feeling, you know, negative feelings around that, and to say like, I don't like this. I don't like what you're doing. This is not something I want to be a part of, but but I have to be because I you know this is where we are and this is your your journey for me and it's okay to work through those feelings. I did work through those feelings though. That's the important part is when you get to that place, don't just stay there. You know, find a counselor, find a mentor, find somebody who can help you process those and work through those so you don't get stuck because that's when your faith dies, is when you get stuck in those feelings. So I spent a lot of time finding spiritual mentors at, at Browncroft. Um, I spoke you know, with Rob a few times, I spoke with uh, some other people in my small group, and, and Ethan, you know, is a spiritual rock for me, so we've had a lot of conversations there, and I was able to work through a lot of those things so that now I'm more in a place where I truly believe that this will be for God's glory. And now that it's been, you know, two years or however long it's been, I'm able to look back on my, like, quote-unquote dark ages, you know, the, the worst parts of it, and see that in those times, some of the best things in my life have happened. I maybe at the time didn't feel that way because I was so fixated on you know my physical pain and you know your very tunnel vision and like this is awful. But when I look back, the things that happened in the peripheral that I was just kind of skating through or like giving my bare minimum effort because that's all I had, 
really changed the course of my life forever. Mm-hmm. And I'll give you an example of that because I truly mean changed my life. So I had an estranged half brother that I had not spoken to in 15 years. Um, at the worst point in the worst month of this whole thing, I reconnected with him. And we have been talking every day since, and we have seen each other since, and we have plans to see each other multiple times in the future. And God brought that to fruition during the darkest season of my life. And, you know, the reason I had the humility to even reach out to him is because I figured, well, how much worse can he get? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I already like I already feel terrible. and My life has already fallen apart. I already feel worthless. So what can he say? No, like that's not going to change anything. Um, and I wouldn't have had that humility. I didn't have that humility. I went 15 years without talking to him, you know, and it took that to, to rebuild that relationship. And God was able to do that, you know, through my pain. Um, I've grown spiritually significantly in that amount of time and my trust and my faith in him. And, you know, I got pregnant with my with my hopefully third child uh, during that time, which is just a miracle in and of itself. And that was when, again, we got pregnant when I was like at my darkest. Didn't even think, you know, it was possible, was having so many symptoms that even my doctors were like, eh, well, good luck. Um, and God made it happen because he knew that he was going to bring this, he was going to bring me here someday to tell this story of how he brought these things about in my, you know, in my pain. But all that to say, it, you know, it's a, it's a relationship. Your relationship with Jesus is a relationship. We have fights. All right. Like there are days or weeks where I have pain and I'm like, God, well, you know, maybe you're dropping the ball this week. And of course he has to remind me with the spirit that like, no, you can't see the end, hang in there. And it's a little bit of give and take. Um, you know, yeah. I, I, wanna, I wanna stop you because I'm sure there's people that are listening to our podcast that whether they're de-churched or unchurched, mm-hmm. they're, they're sitting back there and they're like, why put up with it? Mm-hmm. Like, cause you talked about like, I had nowhere else to go. And so people are like, well, is Christianity a crutch? Like, it's violent. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and I guess, you know, in what you just shared there, like, what would you say to our friends that might not be following Jesus? They might be interested. They're like, why put up with this? Like, why? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I get what you're saying. I, I would say it's hard in the moment to figure out why you would put up with it. And if I'm being really honest with you, there are many days, you know, I'm a journaler, where my journal entry was like, this is crap and I'm done, good luck. Like, I'm out, you can figure this out, God, like I can't do it. And in those moments and in those days, and sometimes it's in those weeks, it is really hard to, to why would I put up with it? And the answer is I don't want to anymore. But that's where disciplines come in and where you have to choose to follow Jesus anyway. And at the end of a day, a week, a month, and a year, I'm able to look back and I can tell you with absolute certainty that the good that came out of this time period still outweighs all of the bad. Mm-hmm. That God was has proved himself to me to be faithful and loving and kind and merciful um, and has blessed me tangibly, you know, with with trips and kids and family and this and that, and you know, spiritually and emotionally, and even in some ways in my health in that last year. And, and so I think looking back makes it a lot easier to keep looking forward. Mm-hmm. So you know, I am a big 
fan of keeping a blessings journal. I write down things that prayers that have been answered or prayers I didn't even have, like things that God did for me. And I do that on purpose. I've been doing it for years because I know for me, especially now in those moments, it's hard to hang on. But then I have the confidence to look back and say, look at all these things that happened. And if this happened before, it can happen again and it will happen again. And that gives me the strength, you know, to carry on into the future. Wow. Your story is just, I'm just so inspired. (laughs) Just the way you have hope and your resiliency. It's just, I'm just like in awe of of listening to you right now. So thank you for being honest and um, for sharing how you're really feeling during the time or how you were feeling. Um, My next question for you is if you could go back, Mm -hmm. I'm going off script here. If you could go back. We love when you go off script. (laughs) Come on. Uh, If you could go back to Sarah right before you found out or right before you started experiencing your chronic pain um, and you're about to go through this awful Mm -hmm. season, what advice or what would you tell yourself? Oh, that's a good one. You know, it's that's almost a hard question to answer because right, wrong, or indifferent, so much of this journey is also wrapped up in the birth of my son um, because that's kind of what triggered it and that's what started it. And and those two things are so closely related that sometimes for me it's it's hard to separate the feelings there and, and the you know the emotional response. And some background on that is. After we had my daughter, um, I actually have a uterine condition that is extremely rare, and it makes it extremely difficult to have children. So I didn't know this until after I had my daughter. They discovered it, and they told me, and my husband, you know, you, you might not have more children, and it's it's very likely that you won't have more children, um, just because of some of the risks and, and such there. So my son, for us, felt like a genuine miracle. And it was kind of this weird situation where, you know, we were on a spiritual emotional high of the birth of our son like it can't get any better than this and then like six months later it was a spiritual and emotional low it can't get any worse than this um so i think what i would tell me before that you know before this all happened is um you can have both good and bad at the same time and you can feel both of those at the same time and that's okay Uh, There was a lot of times where I struggled with saying, like, this was a bad day or a good day. But the reality is there were moments of bad in that day, but there were moments of good in that day. You know, I don't look back on my son's first year of life and think, like, what a miserable time. Ugh, would never do that again. I Like, I had a son, and I watched him grow up, and he was beautiful, and he's hilarious, and he's so stinking cute. And all of that happened at the same time that I was bedridden and scared and losing weight and had no idea what was going on. And and those two things happen simultaneously uh, and they can be felt simultaneously. And that's really confusing when you're going through it because we tend to, as people, we tend to, like it's all or nothing. We feel this way or we feel that way and it's it's hard to <laughs> feel both. That I would just give myself the grace and the knowledge of you're going to have moments of both of these and, and really hold on to the ones that are good because another one's coming. Uh, We tend to, I think when good moments come, they're fleeting and we forget that they'll happen again. But when bad ones come, like, oh man, it's it. This is the rest of our life. Nothing's ever going to change. Um, So that's that's what I would tell myself. That's really good. That's really good advice. That's a great question. I'm so glad you asked that. Mm -hmm. And so I I wanna get super practical because even just what you just said there, 
Um, I'm thinking about the friends of someone that has chronic pain. Um, Cause like I'm hearing some stuff from you. And so like when I know someone has chronic pain and they're like, you know, if we schedule coffee, they're 50, 50. But like, I know that like the, the literal 50, 50 of it is, I don't know how I'm going to feel. Right. Yeah. Like, or, you know, so I'm just kind of thinking of the get together. Like, how would you want your friends to kind of, and also to like the follow up, um, like your two diagnoses aren't going away. Right. So like, what does that look like, you know, to just have a good friend, you know, what are your friends doing now? But I'm thinking specifically with communication, with like trying to schedule stuff. Like these are very, like, it's more to be around people, but if you don't feel good, um, I don't know. Yeah, no, totally makes sense. I, I mean, I have been blessed to have a really strong, amazing community um, that has made this transition easier for me. And I can tell you some things that they have done uh, that have helped. I, I think first we have to acknowledge that it starts with you. Um, you have to be willing to be open and communicate with the people you love in your life what's happening. People can't help you if they don't know you know your status, if they don't know your boundaries, if they don't know your limitations. And I understand that we don't want to tell that to the general public. I'm not walking around with a megaphone telling people like, you know, I'm in the bathroom 10 times this week or you know whatever <laughs> it is or I throw out my back and I'm sleeping on the floor. Um, but the people you love and you cherish and that are, are your active core, I think it's really important that that you tell them and you're very honest and frank with them, especially about your limitations, uh, which can be a hard, humbling conversation. I mean, I thought I was super Sarah before I got sick. And in some ways I was that my the new Sarah, the, the limitation Sarah felt, you know, pathetic in comparison. And that was a hard conversation to have. But it has to start there because people can't help you if, if they don't know what you're living through. Mm -hmm. So I would say it starts there. And then from you know the opposite side of that table, some things that my friends have done that have been really helpful was you know scheduling things during hours where they knew I would feel better. So evenings tend to be very difficult for me. Um, not so much since I've been pregnant, but before that, you know, evenings tend to be where I have the most pain. Uh, so people have been very good about scheduling things in mornings for me or during the day. Uh, I meet people for lunch very often or, bef you know, before my witching hour. Um, that has been immensely helpful. Uh, there's been grace of when I come to things and I'm having a bad day and it's visible and people kind of know that I'm having a bad day. They just let me have that day. You know, I went to a a birthday party for one of our close friends and all of our friends knew, there knew that I wasn't feeling well uh, and I was having you know a bad day there and th they just let me sit there and watch and not say a single thing the whole time we were there not eat a thing not even get up from my chair and you know what they were okay with that and I was still a part of the group and I was still a part of the conversation and they were still thankful that I was there and that was really helpful and meaningful because it made me feel like I didn't necessarily have to cancel or hide how I was feeling. I could come and just feel however I was feeling and that mm -hmm. was okay. They accepted that. Um, so that's been helpful. You know, more practically speaking, uh, my community has been awesome about my dietary restrictions of which there are like 10,000. Um, and that that goes a long way to just feel respected and to not feel like a burden and to feel like they 
care enough to to want to include me in their events because of course I can I can go and not eat that's not the end of the world but it, it feels different when you go and people are like but I want you to enjoy yourself and I want you to be a part of this so that has been um, just such a blessing that so many people in our community have done that uh, when I was at my worst when I was you know sick and depressed but didn't know that I was sick and depressed. Um, one thing that was incredibly helpful, you know, I mentioned the Fosters, and one thing that they did that was so helpful is they offered me help when I didn't even know I needed it. Mm. You know, they were very good about saying, like, your husband isn't here and you sound a little bit crazy, not Cody's exact words, but paraphrasing, like, we're going to bring you dinner or why don't you come over for dinner? Um, or, you know, Kari would be like, why don't we go for a walk? And they probably these were probably things that weren't even a big deal to them. But for me, it was like, oh, my gosh, somebody sees me. Somebody somebody hears me. Um, so, you know, offering help without the person asking it, I think, is a big for everyone You know, with any chronic condition, even people without chronic conditions, if they're struggling, you know, sometimes you don't even know what you need to ask for. You're so entrenched in whatever it is that's drowning you that you can't even think about what it is that someone could do to help you. So to be able to recognize that in your friends and and to offer something without them having to ask for it, it goes a long way. And that was incredibly helpful for me during those times. Mm. Yeah, that's very helpful. I know often, we've talked about this on the podcast before, um, people will see someone who's sick or see someone who needs help and they'll say, I'll pray for you. Um, and maybe they're praying for you and that's an awesome thing. But sometimes people leave it at that so to hear that your community kind of jumped in and actually acted on uh, helping you and doing things with you and doing things for you is just really encouraging for me to hear yeah and you know i understand that we're busy and we have schedules and sometimes it's hard to make somebody a gluten-free dinner because that feels impossible even in my own home or you can't be there to watch their kids and do their laundry or I get that, and that's totally reasonable, and I respect that. But some other things like that you can really do that help or just my friends just really allowed me to be sad without making me feel like the sad friend, mm. if that makes sense. You know, they allowed me to talk to them and kind of sit in my suffering a little bit and you know acknowledge my suffering and ask me about it without treating me like I was Eeyore and that was the defining characteristic of, of my life. Uh, and I think that's just so, so important, especially with somebody who's chronic illness because it does sometimes become a, a defining characteristic of your life, especially if it's visible you know, or it, it's debilitating in some way. Um, to have a community that that will allow you to feel those things but won't define you by them is just so important. So why don't you take a moment and talk to the chronic, um, the chronically ill that are listening because I'm sure that there's a lot of them. Um, and you know, so I, I think what I've heard you say is, you know, it takes some humility. Um, it definitely takes some clarity with your loved ones. Um, I'm also hearing you say, like, it's really important to feel what you feel mm -hmm. um, and that really helps your relationship with God. What are some other things or if you want to elaborate on one of those four things that I said, you know, what are some other things that you would say to, you know, our audience that are facing a chronic illness? Yeah. So I put some thought into this and, you know, something that I really struggled with and I'd be willing to bet almost anyone with a chronic illness struggles with is who you were before and who you are after. Mm -hmm. uh, it's 
it's a bit of an identity crisis. And sometimes it's a major identity crisis because you can no longer do the things you used to do or be the person you used to be. And, you know, if I'm being frank, I still in my head and in my personal space tend to refer to myself as before Sarah and after Sarah. Uh, I'm still, you know, working on being able to say all of these parts of me are the same Sarah um, and how I can mesh those two together and how I can come to peace with, you know, there is not before Sarah and after Sarah. That implies that there was a better version and there is a worse version and I'm living in the worst version. That's not true. You know, I am the same version of me. I have the same worthiness now that I had then, but that's something that I would encourage anyone with a chronic illness to really spend time thinking about and to seek help figuring out. Please, please find a counselor, find a pastor, find a trusted friend to help you work through those emotions because they will be there and they will be strong and it is very difficult to figure out on your own because on your own, all you can see is what you could do and what you can't now. And, you know, I really struggled with identity questions and worthiness questions. And I had this plan for my life and I can't keep up with that life. So who am I now? And and am I even worthy now if I can't do these things I felt called to? And it's not even just from a religious standpoint, you know, from a, if you wanted six kids and now you can only have one and you're, that was your identity, you know, or you used to be able to walk and now you can't. it's really difficult to sort through those emotions. So I would really just implore people, don't do it alone. Find someone to to help you give that some serious thought and to work through some of those identity questions um, because they'll be there. (laughs) Well, I think what I'm hearing you say, and I'd love for you just to respond, there's some lies that you believed about yourself. Oh, definitely. That surfaced in this. So like one lie that I heard you say is like, there's uh, before Sarah and after Sarah. Mm-hmm. There's only one Sarah, and there's no better or worse. Right. What What were some of the other lies? You've kind of articulated, but maybe just to help, what were some of the other lies, and how did you replace them with truth? Yeah, great question. Uh, the biggest one, I, I really, really have learned through this experience that I prided myself and found my worth and value in what I felt like I was able to provide for Jesus. And that is the most ridiculous thing anyone could ever say, because we know that there's nothing I could do or not do to change God's love for me. But I don't know that I I think I truly believe that, but I was not living that. And I really felt the more I could serve, the more I was called to do great things, the more I could do, the more people I could help, the more lives I could touch, the more I was honoring God. And then suddenly I didn't have the energy to do any of these things anymore. You know, I didn't have the energy to flip a pancake. Like I wasn't, definitely wasn't helping orphans and going on missions trips. And what was really hard for me was my husband was, you know, he is living God's calling to his fullest extent. And, you know, I am proud of that and humbled by that. But that was really hard to watch when I was banking my life on doing those kinds of things and couldn't. Um, So I, I think God use this pain to kind of reveal to me, you know, this egregious wrong thinking that I, that I was having to help pull me back into focus and, and think, you know, how do I serve God now with these conditions that I have that he gave me, you know, or he's allowing to happen at least, um, knowing that this is his plan and he's choosing it and, and he believes I can glorify him in some great way like this in this state. 
uh, and it's really helped to, to change my perspective and to, to help me reevaluate my worth in that way. Um, another big lie I believed, and I still struggle with believing, and I, frankly, I probably will my whole life, is that I can't be happy or I can't be at peace if I don't feel good again. Um, there was a long period of time, at least a year, where I was just chasing and chasing and chasing and chasing some sort of cure and some sort of answer. And sometimes the chase was more exhausting than the actual you know, the actual conditions I had or the actual symptoms I had. Maybe I was having a month where they weren't that bad, but then the regimen that I was doing to try to like, quote unquote, fix them was worse than, you know, whatever. Uh, and that was based on this belief that I will never be happy again and my life will never be good again and I will never enjoy myself again and have fun again unless I can go back to that place. Uh, and some of that, you know, was a misunderstanding and what true joy is mm-hmm. uh, and what true true peace is. Like, uh, friends, you can have that even even in pain. I, I promise you that. I, I know it for sure because I, I do and I have had moments of that. Um and through this time, God has really revealed to me it, the two don't go hand in hand. I mean, some of the days where I've had my worst pain, I'll give you actually an example. It's, it's more tangible. One of the best things I remember about my daughter, Esme, she was, you know, just turned two. I, we had a six-month-old. I was feeling, you know, super great at that point. That was sarcasm. I was feeling super <laughs> awful at that point. Um, and I had a, a really bad flare that had lasted, I don't know, like three or four days. I was on day like four. Mm-hmm. Um, it, just sitting in bed. It couldn't even put them to bed at night. And I was feeling really bad about myself because like what kind of mom can't even put their kids to bed at night? Um, the fun answer there is a lot of moms. So don't <laughs> feel bad about it. And my daughter came into my room and she sat next to me and she patted me on the head and she said, mommy, it's okay that you don't feel good. I'll sit here with you and I'll help you to feel better. Oh, and you Right. That you is just, so sweet. You melt. And it was, you know, a moment for me where it, it was one of my favorite things about her. I'm going to remember it forever. And I was in so much pain, but I don't even remember the pain anymore. I remember those sweet words from my daughter. And I remember thinking like, wow, we, we've modeled this for her. Like Ethan has helped model a response that my daughter has learned how to be compassionate for other people in this way. And she's showing that to me. And how amazing is that? And, you know, I was able to start replacing the lies that I had told myself that I'll never be happy again with moments like that where, where I'm able to see, you know, yes, you can be. Um, so that was a big one for sure. Oh my goodness! Uh, <laughs> yeah, gonna, I don't know sorry, where to guys. go from here. This is well, so good. <laughs> um, man, this time went by really fast. Um, you know, I just want to commend your career. It's not, you know, it's not easy to come on a podcast and say I have a GI problem and all this stuff. And and I and I think and I say that more because I think the more we talk about it, the more people feel free to you know, you don't have to go into every depth of the diagnosis or what the, but to be able to say to someone, this is what my life feels like, it actually invites a deeper connection. So I appreciate that. So, so here's the good news, Sarah. Our last question is, you know, what does Jesus have to say about this topic? Alyssa and I, we're going to try to answer this and then you, um, you get to clean up whatever mess we left. So does that sound good? So who, do you want to go or do you want me to go? You know what? You make the call. You go. Wow. Look <laughs> at that. Um, you know, I, I, so 
all throughout this conversation, I, you know, my mind definitely goes to the times that like, like Jesus healed people with chronic pain. Um, and I think sometimes we forget in the new Testament that there's people that lived near Jesus that didn't get healed, you know, and in second Corinthians, you know, the writer of that, his name's Paul, super spiritual, you know, he brings up that he has this thorn in his flesh and we don't know what it was. And actually probably to our credit to not know what it was, it actually becomes more applicable. But a lot of commentators think that it was something that was, um, it was something physical. It was something chronic that wasn't going away. And he says, my grace is sufficient. You know, and it, it's interesting. I loved what you said to the people that are unchurched or don't follow Jesus, or maybe they're deconstructing because they're going through pain right now. And, you know, I, I think what you've unpacked in this episode is Jesus is actually really close in the mess and Jesus experienced the mess. And when you read about the people that have the most hope, when you read about people that that know the most pain, Jesus is this common denominator and all of that. Um, and so again, I just kind of appreciate that because something that doesn't get talked about with the Bible, but we talk about all the Psalms are basically, you know, more than half are somebody really angry with God. And if God was super insecure, God wouldn't put them in there. And so to be able to say, why won't my chronic pain go away? I think Jesus comes in the middle of our messes with us. So yeah, Alyssa. Yeah, I like that. That's close to what I was going to say. Um, so actually being honest, I I struggle with migraines and so they can be chronic at times. It, it gets better and worse um, depending on when, but I've had them for going on 10 years now. Wow. So um, yeah, I've been on medicine, off medicine, neurologist, all of that stuff. So not that I can completely relate with your story, but I there is pain there and there is times where I'm asking God, why won't my pain go away? Um, and I think I'm still wrestling with that and I'm still trying to figure that out. But one thing that I have learned just over time and in my spiritual walk is that the presence of pain doesn't mean the absence of Jesus. Um, just because um, something we may perceive as negative is in the room, that doesn't mean that Jesus isn't too. Um, he, he can be there and he is there. Um, we often associate God, well, he is good, he is holy, he's perfect. And so we associate that as humans with um, positivity, happiness, health, um, joy, energy, all of this stuff. Um, and so when we are having those things, we we think that, that God can't be there. Um, but we forget that God also created grief and pain and loss and um, things that we aren't we don't normally associate as being positive. Um, so yeah, I think it's just important to remember that even in pain and suffering, Jesus is there. And just because we feel bad um, or feel a negative way does not mean that Jesus isn't in the midst. And it doesn't mean that in the future, we're always going to feel this way. Maybe we will. Um, but that doesn't mean that Jesus is leaving us or isn't there with us while we're going through that. You can wrap that up and <laughs> make it all shiny for us. Yeah, I mean, you guys said so many great things. Um, I guess the only thing I would add is, 
you know, guys, Jesus' MO is to be as close to pain as he could possibly be. That's his favorite place to be in the New Testament, whether it's spiritual, emotional, physical. You know, Jesus is where the greatest source of pain is for most of the, the New Testament. Um, and I would encourage anyone who's who's really struggling with any kind of chronic pain or, you know, depression, migraines, you know, any kind of long-term pain to read um, Psalm 22. David is in some state of crisis, of pain, and he's literally foreshadowing Jesus's crucifixion. He's saying, you know, they're piercing my hands, they're, you know, attacking me, all these physical things are happening to him. And then the next Psalm is Psalm 23, and he's like, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And I think that's really indicative of who God is. And it's a great reminder that, you know, we are not on God's time. God is on his own time and he is not necessarily going to align with what our expectations are, but but there is no suffering that will not end. And maybe it won't be earth side. You know, maybe I, I, I know for certain I will have these afflictions my whole life, but they will not, it, they will not be something that I cannot overcome and I cannot thrive in with Christ because that is what he wants us for, wants us to be. He he wants us to thrive in him. Um and I would just encourage people to remember that that God is not working on our time schedule and you may not see the glory and the you know, I don't want to say results, but you may not see the outcome ever in this lifetime, but there is one and you will see it eventually. And, and he promises that over and over and over in scripture uh, and to just hang on to, to that knowledge and that truth when you're, when you're going through those times that God will do the things he has promised and you will see those at, at some point in your existence. Wow. Um, you know, this is the reason why we started this podcast to have conversations like this. So thank you for being a part of that. Sarah, if uh, if people want to follow you, where's the best place to get a hold of you? Yeah, sure. So I'm only on Instagram because I'm not cool like everybody else. Um, <laughs> so you can follow me on Instagram. My handle is my name, Sarah, S-A-R-A, Allbanger. Um, or, you know, say hello if you see me. I, I look mean, but I promise I'm really nice, guys. Um, um, yeah, so. You don't look mean. Anyways, you. Uh, <laughs> you can uh, go to our website, whygodwhypodcast.com, click subscribe. You'll get this episode and many others. We're so glad that you've joined us today. 